0: Hello everyone, I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon, and this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing
1: bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ask
0: themselves if money can buy them happiness. We update you on current passport requirements. We check in with our chief aging officer, Kathleen O'Brien. We get a scientific opinion on the relationship of money to happiness. And we enjoy a few snappy tweets from the U.S. Park Service. The Old Dog's conversation is with Louise Palanker and Fritz Coleman, a couple of pros from the entertainment biz with a great idea for a podcast. Stay with us.
1: Hey, Paul. Yo, what are you thinking today? Well, we have a pod nugget in uh, our current episode where they have done some research, rather extensive research, and found out that money does indeed provide happiness. Oh, so I've heard. You know, which is kind of an interesting twist. Of course, the old saw is money can't give you happiness. Mm. Well, now we know, heck, it can. So, you got some thoughts on the subject? Uh no. Ah, okay. Well, I have prepared some notes. I thought you would. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I I found that it did ring true. in In most cases, uh, happiness increased as their income increased, and. Uh, Again, for most of them, there was no limit on what kind of an increase would be involved. Uh,
0: what What does that mean exactly? Is it like the more money you get, the happier you are? Is that what uh,
1: apparently saying? so? I'll tell you what makes me the most happy. I love to travel. Ah. traveling is very important to me, and that does take some money. I would have to say that money, what it can bring to your life, will provide more happiness. I think.
0: Yeah, I think personally, I think you have to define happiness. I think that it's in context. The context is important. So if you live in an environment in which life is simple and you can get enough food and you have shelter and you have clothing, and I'm talking about, you know, the basics, but you don't need anything else and nothing else is possible, then I think you can be happy. You know, my wife and I were in the Peace Corps and we had very little. But what we had, we enjoyed, and we didn't have the opportunity to get anything else. It was not a possibility.
1: Jim, you were in your 20s. Everything everything is enjoyable. in your. Oh,
0: no, no, no. There were plenty of people who were miserable because they didn't have this or that. But also the people that we lived with were fairly happy because they felt like that was what was possible, and they had very happy lives. But you know what? The more that they experienced Western culture and Western goods and Western possessions and all of that, the more they wanted more. And so now we live in a very complex context, you and I, in a very big city that has a lot of possibilities. And you look around and you say, hey, I don't have that. And you're not going to be happy until you have it, unless you change your mind and say that what I've got is plenty.
1: Hmm. Okay. for for me, I, I'm not a collector of objects. And my goodness, my my car is ten years old. Mm, mine is too. Uh, it's not that so much as uh, experiencing freedom that can be brought about by having an adequate income. So travel is going to make you happy. Uh, I enjoy travel immensely. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, and I and I enjoy going out to eat a dinner occasionally. Mm -hmm. And not worrying about how expensive it is. Well, okay. Uh, What if you get poisoned by the dinner? Then what? (laughs) Man, you were determined to make me unhappy, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) As COVID has receded, many Americans are planning on international travel again. As you dust off your luggage, here are some little-known facts about Passports. This pod nugget is from the Interesting Facts website.
0: According to the U.S. Department of State, 143 million passports were in circulation as of 2020. This amounts to more than 40% of the U.S. population.
1: Holders of U.S. passports can travel to 186 countries without having to arrange a visa, which is a formal permit to enter a country now this is only number seven among all countries japan leads the list with access to 193 countries without a visa
0: you know you can't use just any old photograph in your passport today's passport photos must be recent and set against a plain white background no glasses filters hats selfies or headphones are allowed nothing can obscure your face
1: and also the passport's artwork is designed to frustrate potential forgers The current design is called American Icon and features a wide range of patriotic images, from bald eagles to the Statue of Liberty.
0: Staying ahead of forgers is an ongoing battle, and another more advanced passport design may soon be in the works. So, stay tuned. And now more thoughtful commentary from Kathleen O'Brien, author of Reclaim Your Right to Grow Old and the website Grow Old, Be Happy.
2: The English language is going to hell in a handbasket, and it's going there faster than ever before. Just as I was beginning to get over the overuse of the word like... Like, when someone comments on somebody and says, Harry is like old, he's like 80 or something. It's usually young people who talk this way, but not always. What I want to know is, is Harry old or not? Is he 80 or isn't he? This equivocation about the state of things, this desire to hedge your bets, makes the speaker sound unreliable. Maybe that's what people have in mind, because when everything is like it is, you can never be blamed if your observation turns out to be wrong. But we've moved on from couching things with the word like to outright violating the rules of our great language. I'm talking about misusing subjective and objective case. I've even heard it on several recent TV commercials. One commercial features an on-camera medical expert saying, This inspired my husband and I to develop our product. Look, lady, you and your husband are the objects of the verb inspired. So it's my husband and me, not my husband and I. Would you ever say, This inspired I to develop our product? Of course not. But take your husband out of the sentence, and that's what you'd get. Like the prepositional phrase, with my husband and me. But people insist on saying, with my husband and I. Take out the husband once again, and you have the awkward phrase, with I. John is going to the store with I. (laughs) Would you say that? People mix up subjective and objective case every day. I'm not sure what we can do about it. You can't really correct someone you're talking with unless you couch it a bit and say, I think you like mean with my husband and me. <laughs> or you could just start investing in hand baskets.
0: Well, researchers have found that money can buy happiness. Most of us could have used this information years ago. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for March 8th, 2023.
1: Two researchers, Daniel Kahneman and Matthew Killingsworth, have concluded that money can buy happiness in a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science.
0: In their study, they surveyed 33,391 adults between 18 and 65 who lived in the United States. The participants were all employed and had a household income of at least $10,000 a year.
1: Yeah, you're happy at $10,000 a year. Okay. Anyway, to measure their happiness, participants were asked to report on their feelings at random intervals via a smartphone app. The scale ranged from very bad to very good.
0: The study reached two big conclusions. The first is that happiness continues to rise with income, even in the higher ranges of income. In other words, for many of us, having more money can make us increasingly happier.
1: But the study also found there was an unhappy minority, roughly 20% of participants, whose unhappiness diminishes with rising income up to a threshold and then shows no further progress. The threshold was about $100,000 a year.
0: It didn't take long for social media to comment on the study. One tweet was, anyone who says money doesn't buy happiness doesn't know where to go for shopping. Another suggested that money won't make you happy, but it's nicer to cry in a Ferrari.
1: The National Park Service uses humor in their social media to make safety messages. And you know they've gotten pretty good at it. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for April 12, 2023.
0: Now, typically, these humorous messages touch on the creatures found in the park system and why it is a terrible idea to touch, bother, or get too close to them. Here's some of the best.
1: Bison are surly and mean-tempered animals that have injured more park visitors than any other animal. Hence the following tweet, Don't pet the fluffy cows. (laughs) A follow-up tweet said, In national parks, you don't pet the bison. Bison pet you.
0: Or how about this practical advice about avoiding bird excrement? Never catch snowflakes with your tongue until all the birds have flown south.
1: This message was to counteract a myth that licking the large, Sonoran desert toad produced a psychedelic high. As we say with most things you come across in a national park, whether it be a banana slug, unfamiliar mushrooms, or a large toad with glowing eyes in the dead of night, Please refrain from licking. Good advice.
0: This warning is about another testy animal, the ermine. Did you know if you hold an ermine up to your ear, you can hear what it's like to be attacked by an ermine?
1: Bear in <laughs> mind these jokes are just to get people's attention. The humor's always followed by practical advice relating to the situation. And it certainly got my attention. I haven't licked a toad in weeks, Jim. How about you?
0: Well, I haven't pet any fluffy cows either. Louise Palanker and Fritz Coleman got to know each other a while ago in Southern California. When the time was right, they pooled their backgrounds in entertainment to start a podcast called Media Path. It's full of conversations with people who were part of the culture we grew up with. Musicians, actors, influencers, all good stuff for us old dogs.
3: I just want to tell you guys that um, I have a plumber at my home, and at any moment I may be called away okay so if that ha- happens uh hopefully fritz will be here to carry on the conversation but i'm gonna have to pay him at some point
1: sure be we'll paid. go along with that fiction that it's a plumber <laughs> okay <laughs>
3: right yeah he's sneaking the pipes <laughs> hey fritzy hi everybody you, fritz hello,
0: hello how, how are you doing? It's nice to talk to you yeah well it's nice to be talked to
1: Well, I tell you what's interesting about this interview for us is we are both essentially in the business of podcasting, although we certainly go in different directions. I've enjoyed listening to your show. How did you arrive at that format, may I ask?
3: We kind of carved our show around our shared interests, which are film, books, especially documentaries, and also politics. We love history. You know, we love old movies. We love uh, exploring documentaries and um, discussing all sorts of various and shared interests. And it's really just sort of taking our phone conversations and recording them and and hoping that other people find it interesting as well.
4: well we've been friends for 35 years. Uh, I did a series of one-person shows, four of them, and Wheezy produced the first two, and that's how we became close and sort of uh, developed our friendship. That's why this was an easy task, uh, coming on and just sort of continuing our friendship, but sort of expanding on it and inviting people in to listen to what our thoughts were and asking them to join the conversation, so it was easy.
1: Let me use the, uh, the words that I saw in one of your press releases. We are exploring entertainment, politics, history, true crime, world events and all their intriguing intersections, which sounded to me like the National Enquirer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wow, that, that's a pretty large mandate. Maybe. And so we far,
4: we haven't had to testify at the grand jury trial. Please. Oh, okay. <laughs> we,
3: we spend more time committing crime than we do reporting on it. Would
0: you care uh, to yes. comment oh. on some of the crimes you've committed?
3: Uh, well, let's see. I'm sure that there's some unrewound videotapes that are at Block Felt. Oh, man. Yeah. And maybe some jaywalking, speeding.
4: Now, that sounds like I have a very dull life. (laughs) No felonies, a couple of misdemeanor flirtations, that's all. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think we should note for the record that in addition to your criminal past, you have something else in common. You are both from
3: Buffalo, New York i really am born and raised there and fritz spent some time there found a wife there you know he he married a buffalo bills cheerleader
4: and now i i worked there in the radio and tv business for four years from 1976 to 1980 and seriously have the best friends of my life that i found there and uh, it was a great great time in my life
1: well <laughs> you both have had a, a rather uh, uh, interesting journey from buffalo to where you are today uh, could I start with you, Fritz? Uh, you, sure. you were a DJ mm-hmm. and uh, ended up as a weatherman. Can you tell us about that interesting pathway? Absolutely.
4: I started my broadcasting career uh, when I was in the Navy. I was uh, worked for Armed Forces Radio and Television for four years in the Navy. I did radio shows and TV shows, and I did weather. The beautiful thing about uh, being employed in a broadcasting job in the Navy is, regardless of how bad you are, you will never get fired. And there's a, there's a certain liberating quality to that. You could stink, but you would still do it because that was your assigned billet. And how many people get to do their first job and not have to worry about being fired? So it was great. So I get out of the Navy and I was in the radio business for 15 years. I was a DJ, production director, music director, and so forth. I began my stand-up comedy career in a Buffalo uh, uh, at a jazz club called the Tralfamador Cafe, which is a very famous jazz room and became smitten by the stand-up comedy business and came out here in 1980 to pursue it as a career because in those days, as you know, the comedy store in Sunset Boulevard was the mecca. Everybody uh, who wanted to achieve any success had to come out and work at the comedy store because all the talent coordinators were out here for The Tonight Show and all that stuff. So I came out here woefully underprepared. I had a solid six minutes, and I thought, well, I'm ready for the big time, and came out here, and I was way underprepared. But I, I worked my way up to becoming a, what they call a paid regular at the Comedy Store, where you would get a couple spots a week. And there's a point to the story, I promise you. Anyway, uh, my friend that worked at NBC brought his boss and his boss's wife to see me perform at the Comedy Store one night. His boss was the news director at Channel 4 Los Angeles, NBC. And... Uh, I told an anecdote on stage about having done the weather in the Navy, but not knowing anything about it, but nobody cared. It, it, it wasn't about credibility. It was just about fulfilling your responsibilities to the, the Defense Department, you know. So uh, he thought that was very interesting. After I got off stage, I went and met him and he said, This is a very odd question. But do you have any desire to come to Channel 4 and do some vacation relief weather for me, like work on weekends and fill in for the main guy when he's on vacation? And i was making 35 dollars a night at the comedy store i thought oh my god when do you want me to start and i said you do know that i don't know anything about weather he said no problem there's no weather in california this will work out great <laughs> so, so i had to uh, i had to audition i uh, auditioned the next week i got the fill-in job i did vacation relief and fill in for two years and i retired two years ago just shy of my 40th anniversary so It was just the greatest bit of show business luck since that woman was discovered at Schwab's pharmacy in the Mm -hmm. forties. I'm beyond lucky. That's so. That's the that's the whole part.
1: Did did you learn anything about meteorology on the way? Yes,
4: yeah, because it's the same weather from April to October. It's morning clouds and fog, hazy afternoon sun. You just have minor variations in temperature, and you get paid for that. It's 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 really it's the greatest scam since Bernie Madoff being a weatherman in California. Uh, But however, I will. uh, Add to that, that now that there's climate change, all bets are off. We're having wacky weather out here now, so really. I couldn't even get the job now. Weather men have to be meteorologists out here now, and I couldn't get the job now. I, I was hired as a comic to bring some lightness to the newscast, but now it's it's all different.
1: So the, the state of comedy, uh, because of the low pay, is never something that appealed to you as a career option?
4: Uh no, I always, I, I never stopped being a comic. Even when I was doing the weather with the 11 o'clock news, I was doing three sets a week at the comedy store and the improv and weekends even more. I work all over Southern California still doing lunches and dinners and having fun. I do I clubs occasionally. I'm a little old to be relevant in the clubs, but I, uh, because I was on TV for 40 years, I still get invited to do jobs without having to submit to the humiliation of one o'clock in the morning at flappers
1: uh louise fritz just told us much more about his life than we wanted to know
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry
1: so can we? i, I do
3: you? want to give a shout out to antonio from plumbing boys because he's excellent
1: okay uh, <laughs> okay well we've all of we our we listeners could, out we, there we thought you'd bring him out and we could chat a little bit but
2: <laughs> oh my god he would have loved that
1: uh well it's your turn now uh okay uh, started with buffalo uh tell us how you got cross-country
3: well i took a plane
1: good choice him
3: and uh my story is pretty long and winding but i really didn't know anybody in show business so i had always seen the studio pages with johnny carson giving him a card that told the folks where they were going to get their free meal and i thought well i'll go to hollywood and i'll become a studio page Hmm. for johnny carson and that's how you get your your way into show business so that was the only thing i knew how to do so i i eventually landed a job as a page at, um, at a place called Metro Media Square, and when I was a page, the, we were working on all of the Norman Lear sitcoms, and then we also had the John Davidson talk show, and we had a few other shows. I think we had People's Court, which is less exciting, but <laughs> it worked. It was an entry-level position. It led to me getting a job on a show called PM Magazine, which led to me writing uh, the weekly top 40 for Rick Dees. And that led to me forming a company called Premier Radio Networks with, with some disc jockeys at Kiss FM here in Los Angeles. Um, we formed Premier and 15 years later, it was sold to Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia. Media. And that gave me the freedom to kind of explore my passion. So I've been into documentary filmmaking, podcasting, writing, and even recorded an album of my own music as, my hobbies are various and sundry, and I'm mediocre uh, at, at all of them. So I don't want anyone to feel kind of, you know, no, you're not intimidated. <laughs> you know, everything that I do is <laughs> is just a, is just kind of me pursuing all of my childhood passions.
0: Okay, let's say somebody hasn't listened to your show. How would you describe it to them?
3: We kind of like we focus on music. And baby, what we call baby boomer um, comfort content. So anything (laughs) that, you know, our age group grew up loving is we want to bring it to you. So we've had all kinds of folks on that had hits in the 60s and 70s. And we've had child stars that were on TV in the 60s and 70s. And um, we've had people that have written, you know, a point in their life where they're writing memoirs. And we love having them on. We usually agree sometimes I'll, you know, Fritz is a little bit more, his musical tastes are a little bit more jazz and blues and mine are a little bit more pop. But aside from that, you know, it's like the guy girl thing, you you know, to, to fall into those sort of like uh, categories or stereotypes of what, what girls liked in the seventies and what guys liked in the seventies. So he kind of indulges some of my interests and in, and I'm, I trust that he knows how to talk to the, the blues and the jazz folks with more, more fluidity than, than do I. But aside from that, we, we're pretty in sync with you know what we like to discuss and who we like to have on. And so we just find it such a blessing to be able to learn and speak to the folks who have stories that are worthy of being
1: shared. So how, how long do you see this uh, podcast going on?
4: Well, we both like to be carried on on a stretcher
3: until the wheels come off.
4: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, guys, it's been really fascinating chatting with you. Uh, We're we're kind of uh, in the same business, but not. I mentioned that uh, you were the National Enquirer podcasters. We're kind of (laughs) the readers. We're the Readers Digest. That's
4: okay. They're all Uh, great publications. No problems congratulations
3: on your wonderful show thank
0: you and thanks to the plumber as well for giving
3: (laughs) uh, (laughs) your time i i wrote him a check i I should have invited him in i just uh, that would have
4: been hysterical
3: i'm so sorry
4: yeah
0: you'll find louise and fritz's podcast at mediapathpodcast.com like what you've been hearing how about sharing the joy with your friends We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.